sisters, join the resistance. Come on, let's start by talking tactics. Have a pass and match us. Here's how we practice. The last Hey everybody, welcome to Pop Culture Continuum, this is John Elliott. And this is Patrick Riccardi. And returning yet again... Hi, my name is Michael, and I like looking at pictures and thigh-high boots. That will surprise nobody who's listened before. <laughs> and this week we're doing... Oh, why don't you tell us, Michael, these were your picks. Well, we're doing two wonderful movies about um, travel and excitement. Um, we're doing the 1970... 1970- I, I watched the wrong movies. Oh... <laughs> So stupid. Um, We're doing 1974's classic Zardoz, featuring um, Charlotte Rampling and an amazing... Sean Connery's loincloth. Sean Connery. (laughs) And uh, versus Showgirls, which is... um, Which needs no introduction. Yeah, I think we all know what that is. Nor deserves any, but we'll get to that one later. I think I can change both of your minds on that. I, that's going to be really hard. I, yeah, I want to say like this is the same week we had to watch all the new fall shows, so this was a fucking rough week for me, man. Oh, uh, so, so so you guys are doing a show about fall shows too? Yeah, that one that one will come out uh, tomorrow. This oh, one will great. come out next week. Yeah. Oh, bumped a week. Okay, <laughs> another week. Well, we we did want to try to be timely. <laughs> with the fall shows. I don't think anybody's like waiting with bated breath to hear our showgirls Zardoz reviews, so Well it is the thirty fifth anniversary of Showgirls. Oh, that's true. It's true. And it is, you know, um it is kind of a I don't we'll probably do Zardoz first, right? Yeah, but Showgirls yeah. is a legendary film, mostly because of the work of people here in the Bay Area. Real okay, well, yeah, we'll get into that when we talk about Showgirls. Uh not surprising, really. Everybody I know who actually likes it is a gay man, it seems. so. Um, all right, but let's start with Zardoz from 1970. I, you're welcome to try to give a uh, synopsis of this, Michael, but I, it might take the whole episode. So A little introduction. I'll give a little introductory summary, which is to say that it is a 1974 fantasy film by John Borman, who later, no, no, before this, he had done Deliverance. And um, this was his, like, uh, I mean, he wrote it, he directed it. Produced um, it. Produced it, I think. Yeah. And so this was his, like, oh, I can do whatever I want. Let me do this. This was his and, Heaven's Gate, basically. Yeah. <laughs> In so many ways. And um, so this film is sort of like, um, I think he was maybe influenced by Planet of the Apes because it has that same idea of it's the far future. There's these brutal humans running around um, and one of them, um, uh, uh, well, actually, maybe I should be a little more detailed. There's these humans running around who just seem like completely uncivilized. And there's these other people running around called exterminators who are killing the humans who are completely uncivilized. And the exterminators, um, one of them, um, they worship a flying head. Yeah, it's a big stone head. <laughs> a big stone head named Zardoz. And it flies down, and when they worship it, it throws guns out of its mouth. It just, like, spits guns and ammunition at them, which they then pick up and go kill people with. Um, and Sean Connery hides inside that head 
and flies away to wherever the head goes, and it goes to a nexus, uh, a vortex, sorry, a vortex, which is basically just where the 1% live. And, you know, the white people live there, they're um, psychics of some sort, they're eternal, and they are really like the um, epitome of um, like the perfect society gone wrong. And um, he just starts to screw with stuff from there. Yes. Yeah, that's that's a good enough introduction. Yeah, I think. Like, yeah. I, like, most people have never seen this movie and would never want to. <laughs> no, I... The, yeah, I, I've actually I wanted to say I don't think I've ever seen a movie with so much exposition that still made so little sense. <laughs> like at every could... every turn they were turning around and explaining something, and it still yeah. Sorry, what were you gonna say, Pat? Another good summation of the movie is penis bad, rifle good. Yep, that was the one note I took on this. <laughs> nope, the, the the gun is good, the penis is evil. I think that was the direct quote. It, it the the sexual politics of this movie are of both movies. Let's just be of clear. It's for sure. <laughs> well, like, we're talking have, about Zardis now. They have a lot in common. Um, first off, thigh high boots. Sean Connery is wearing thigh high boots at the beginning of the movie, and um, he's his costume alone is what made me stop and say, "What the fuck is this movie?" And he's wearing his costume is thigh high boots, um, like a red diaper like. Um, uh, I don't know, loincloth or, or something Di- of that Yeah, nature? diaper is good enough, yeah. Right, really unflattering. Really unflattering. It makes his butt look flatter than it really is. And then what I think my favorite part is, is that they he's wearing like um ammunition belt sort of thing. Yeah. It, it's like as... a harness. And it's all of this is bright red fabric. And the each bullet is individually cased in this bright red fabric. So it has this unfortunate appearance of ruffles. And when you look at him, he you look like he looks like he's wearing like a red bathing suit and a ruffled top <laughs> or a ruffled harness. Yeah. And it, that doesn't even stop there. The red harness, um, red bathing suit, um, leather thigh high boots, um, a ponytail, a mustache, and um, I think that might be it. But it's a it's ridiculous enough. costume. Yeah. <laughs> Although I would say, hipsters, uh, if you want to bring back a fashion. I say look to this movie because I would be down for that. Totally. What do you mean bring it back? How long was the Zardo's fashion in style? (laughs) Yeah, bring it. From 2293. Yeah, bring it back from the future, I mean. Okay. (laughs) I mean, it's from the far future, so it's probably ahead of us. Yeah. So there's an an IMDb trivia piece that claims that this movie was originally supposed to be set in 1979. (laughs) That's, it's, it's really smart that they didn't fall into that trap because we talk about that a lot of science fiction things do that it's set like 20 years in the future and you're like mm-hmm. there's no way no this i want this movie to be exactly the same in all ways except instead of the beginning where it says 2293 it says 1979 <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting that the poster that i saw when i was looking for it says beyond 1984 beyond 2001 and um so they're they're referencing obviously george orwell and um uh, 2001 space odyssey i assume at yeah. this point um and th- they think that this is somehow in the class of either one of those two stories <laughs> is really no, amusing no. they're not saying that they're saying that this movie is not in the class it's beyond that class it's in yeah. its own class <laughs> it, it is in its own class 
It is so bizarre. I mean, it's like there is a there's real ideas here. There really are, but they are so badly executed. And they're not. Yeah, they're not fleshed out like enough that I was like, "There's a lot of flesh, John. Are you sure it's not fleshed out?" <laughs> the ideas aren't for sure. Oh, okay. I, yeah, there were because when after it was over, I was like, "Well, I don't really know what the point was, though." Like there were a lot of little points in there that it yeah. could have made something of, but it never really cohered. Well, it's it's interesting in that it's it's obviously a really sincere effort, and this is where it's almost camp because it's a really sincere effort that everybody is trying really hard to sell you that they are in this world and that this is a real thing, but it fails utterly. So a lot of what they say just ends up being hilarious. Like, and I don't think it's intentionally hilarious. Some of it, like the the costumes, Sean Connery's is bad, but then when you get to the vortex where you know the one percent live, they're all in chiffon. Everything is chiffon and or like nude, or and everybody is wearing like like dancewear yeah. with chiffon over it. Actually, yeah, they're the women's outfits in this were very similar to Elizabeth Berkeley's uh, dancing <laughs> outfit in Showgirls. Yeah, and the whole there's this this really clunky. Um, the movie starts. The very first thing you see is a floating head that has like kind of an Egyptian headdress on that's made of cloth. And he's like introducing the story to you or the concept to you, the long exposition that is pointless. Yeah. No, no need for it at all. Yeah. And never explains why he has a curly Q mustache painted onto his face. Oh, yes, yes. And it's so weird because it makes the movie make less sense. I, I think it was added to make it seem like, like make the sense more sense to the movie, but it makes it less sense because you're wondering why Sean Connery's shot this God. I, right. I think that scene's not there. You're like, Oh, he shot that guy. I wonder what that's all about. But now he shot his God. What, what is going on here? Yeah. It, it was almost like uh, Ed Woodish, like plan nine from outer space, that exposition yeah. at the beginning where I was just like, what the fuck? There's and a yeah, great, and just his head is floating in and it, it goes from yeah. his head to the stone head that, you know, just a, <laughs> Make it clear it's the same. (laughs) And and Sean Connery and the Exterminators all wear masks based on that guy's same head head, as well. And it's it's so bizarre. I think that Sean Connery mask was just so he didn't have to be there for the entire film. (laughs) I mean, he just, like, I'm sorry, that man was over 40 at that point. And to be dressed the way they dressed him, I mean, how did he do it without just complete mortification? Yeah, I would have. I would have been mortified in my twenties, even. Right. But yeah. I mean, he's he's in great shape for a guy. Yeah, he is. Age. Yeah. No question. But like to be running around in the skimpiest of clothing for most of the movie and All treated of the like movie, a sex as far object. as I can remember. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> two, except two he's in the of, wedding dress. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Two pieces of trivia to add to that. Burt Reynolds was first choice, so we could have seen him running around. Uh, I'll Second take Sean is, Connery. <laughs> Second is Sean Connery was very uncomfortable in wearing a dress. He really didn't want to do that scene, so he was fine with wearing mostly nothing. But once he had to put a dress on, he's like, "Fuck this, Borman! I'm out of here." You're the man now, dog. <laughs> that didn't even make any sense. Um, yeah, w- I don't even know how to get into this story. It's it's, it's in- just fucking weird. Like it it felt like there were maybe reels missing. Right. <laughs> but, you know, I think what really happened is they're trying to do a Planet of the Apes thing where, like, the twist in Planet of the Apes is that you realize that you're on Earth. And, oh, I hope I didn't spoil that for you. 
God damn it. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, John, damn you. Damn <laughs> you, you. damn dirty apes. That's all I know about it. I didn't know it was on Earth, though. <laughs> the twist in Zardoz, I think, is that that he was he was coming he wasn't just randomly jumping into the Zardoz head and coming to the vortex to see the 1% or to find out about the 1% that he was actually on a mission to come there that had been set up by Zardoz himself. The, himself. Yeah. The, the, the man behind the floating head. Right. And these eternal people are so bored that this guy Zardoz in his human form wants to kill and wants them him to kill them and like end their you know interminable boredom of eternal life because they can be regenerated and super sciencey looking um, equipment in this film like literally people being regenerated in like Ziploc bags that are vacuum sealed bags yeah <laughs> that just that are just like floating in the walls in the <laughs> translucent walls yeah and, I don't know uh, about you guys, but what really made my brain explode is when it turned out that Zardoz just meant Wizard of Oz. <laughs> right then, I was just, I was like, wow, they really put a lot of thought into this movie. That's, I think that's like Borman's conceit was that he was going to try to make parallels to something that the Wizard of Oz is, like the Wizard of Oz is just a parable for populist um, politics. And, and there's so many like explanations for everything and so many um, allegories that come out of it. And the, I think Borman was trying to do that and to also reference Wizard of Oz. But when you actually look at the movie, there's no way this has anything to do with the Wizard of Oz. And there was no reason to tie it to the Wizard of Oz in that way. Like, so he threw a book at Sean Connery that was the Wizard of Oz. And all that book did is said that man with the big head was a real per- was a person pretending to be a god. Right. And that's the connection. And that's that's it. That's as far as he takes the allegory. When Sean, and he was, I mean, Sean Connery was lucky that he stuck his thumb over the, uh, the, <laughs> the where and the of uh, in the in the book title. Well, there, so. As most books have, there's there's thumb thumb places so he just put his thumbs in the thumb places that's true yeah i man yeah what the fuck i don't even know i don't know what point they were trying to make with any of this but yeah that wizard of oz thing was hilarious i do have i don't think they knew what point they were trying to make with any of this it just (laughs) felt like they had a a ton of science fiction fantasy ideas and they said we like all these ideas let's put them in the one movie (laughs) yeah but not explore any of them very deeply and the weird thing was like it was a big budget production. At least it looked it for the time. Yeah, I, I mean, don't think so. The you don't? It was, it was like a million dollars. That for 1974? For 74, it seemed... I don't, yeah, I don't I, know. Well, like, I thought the cinematography was good. You know, it had it had actual actors. It wasn't like a... It wasn't like a oh, yeah, movie thing. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Charlotte Rampling is a respected actress. Like she should be mortified that she was in this film, as should Sean Connery. I'm sure that he is to some degree, but um, I don't. I don't get the sense from what I've read online about this that Sean Connery feels particularly embarrassed by this film. Yeah, I don't think he doesn't seem to be embarrassed by much. Doesn't no. he? I mean, he kind of admits that. What was it? Isn't he the one who is like sometimes you got to smack a woman around or something? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So just true. for example, this this had a a budget of 1.5 million blazing saddles had budget 2.6 so it, it wasn't a high budget movie even oh. for the time oh, okay yeah. surprising that is surprising but not well what Howard i'm saying Inferno had a huge budget 
And I hope we never have to watch that one. Um, but it didn't. It didn't look shitty to me. That's what I'm saying. It didn't look like a drive-in movie. Yeah. No, it looks like '70s sci-fi when they really don't know how to make. You know, when they really don't know what they want to show you, so they just default to like mirrors. You know, or yeah. mist. <laughs> or there's a whole scene where she's like psychically influencing one of the women is psychically influencing Sean Connery, and she just is like draped in um, printed chiffon with like psychedelic patterns on it and that's the special effect yeah that was weird too yeah (laughs) so bizarre and the definitely the the um the whole sexual edge of it like the fact that that they're talking about like this brutal man who can still procreate and who feels that he has the right to rape women in order to spread his seed and is told that he should do that um, that he's so interesting to them because he can still get an erection and no, none of the other men in dancewear and chiffon can. Yeah, no, there's a whole scene where she's showing him porn to try to get hit, have him pop a bee. And, uh, but they never hit his kink, so it doesn't work. Yeah, no, they don't. Raping, I think, was his kink. Right. At, one, at one point, he's... he's I thought says, he was waiting for two girls, one cup. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's too early for that. Uh <laughs> We're too far in the future. Too far in the future, yeah. <laughs> Although, you know, I think 300 years in the future, The Wizard of Oz is going to be one of the most respected books. It will <laughs> still be on everybody's shelf. Yeah. Uh, Especially the paperback. It'll last. I'm yeah. Sure. But, uh, yeah, at one point he says, like, like it's something that really uh, hurt him. I saw I saw a man rape an old an old disabled woman or something. I'm like, yeah, we saw you rape a woman, too, like a few times, dude. I don't know what you're getting at with that. Right. Like the, the, the morals of this movie are totally like, he's supposed to be so much smarter. Like they do tests on him and they find that he's smarter and they, they show him his DNA, which literally looks like um, a drop of pond algae (laughs) floating in the background. Like they literally just used pond algae. Like it's the most basic cell photography ever. And um, they're telling him that he's smarter and he's so dangerous to them and um, and all that. But yet he also thinks it's okay that he's a rapist <laughs> and he has no questions about that. But you know he's he has questions about you know um, why they they live in this you know bubble and he wants to break the bubble and let let the other people come in and kill them all. But he doesn't question why he's allowed to rape and nobody else is. Right. And the like the. Uh the supposed savages or barbarians that they kill, mm-hmm. as far as I can tell, they're just shabbily dressed. That's their really only their <laughs> only offense. So that's a pretty pretty big crime even today's society. That's true. <laughs> and the, they're like everybody dies with one shot. Like they just <laughs> like they're just carrying pistols, even though there's shotguns spit out of Zardoz's head. They're <laughs> just carrying pistols, and one shot automatically kills anyone that they hit. Well, they're executioners, Well, in about 2252, they created the gun, and it's just one shot. That's what happened in 2252. Oh. So if you knew your future history, you'd know that. <laughs> well, See, I guess I'm ignorant. There was a whole big deal where they're, like, probing his mind and trying to get shit, and they're like, what happened to Zardoz? Because he shot Zardoz out of the head, um, the floating head. Right. And... and even though everybody seemed to have a pretty fucking clear idea that that is exactly what had happened, but they kept 
trying to get him to admit it, and I didn't get that at all. Like, they even had, like, info. Oh, Zardoz fell. He he landed here. Like, <laughs> <Right>. so, <laughs> what is the point of this interrogation? And they already <laughs> knew, like, when he died, the, you know, the computer system, which is a whole other issue, started recreating his body automatically. And so they knew that he was dead because it wouldn't have started creating his body again. Right. And he comes back. He's back in the story, like, within, like, an hour. <laughs> he's fully grown, and he's back you know manipulating people wearing the pointless painted on mustache again and like no one seems to really notice that he's bad it's it's this weird movie this weird like pivot where if you're not watching closely because i it takes me a couple times to get through this movie i'll be honest i fell asleep twice but (laughs) it has long boring stretches yeah i'll give you that (laughs) and i'm the one who recommended this based on like nothing i guess but um it's it's definitely like that the fact that he comes back the movie just starts to make no sense it just starts to be, feel really random and like is this really happening or why is zardo's back and why are the old people like to punish people they are made to be old and then they locked away and they're called the renegades but they're just senior citizens yeah and they just dress up and go to a dance every day, all day long. Like, Which is what is... real senior citizens do. Oh, yeah. Right? <laughs> I don't see what's so renegade about that. Yeah, and then... I, no, go ahead. I didn't Pat. pick up on how, how the the Eternals became apathetics. I didn't really understand that. I think they what, just got so bored with, oh, okay. with living forever. Right. They got so, like, they knew that there was no consequence for anything. And that they would just be regenerated every every time they ever died and they could kill themselves and they'd come back. And um, so they killed them they, or sorry. So they just became apathetic and completely lifeless and st- stand around in a barn all day. Yeah. And have Sean Connery throw them and like pick them up and throw them around like they're little <laughs> stuffed animals. Right. And she, you know, after they're feeling them up after yeah. attempt, they led him in there and asked him to like rape one of them. Yep. It, I mean, they don't use the word rape. They never do that. But that's what they mean. Like, yeah. It's such a bizarre... Like, John Borman, famous for the, you know, the probably the most famous of all rape scenes that doesn't involve Jodie Foster, in Deliverance, you know, when Ned Beatty gets it. Yeah. And, like, he just seems to have a fascination with this. Yeah, I didn't even put that together. But, yeah, he does. But, but it's almost like he made Deliverance and this on two entirely different drugs. Like... Deliverance is kind of like a meth movie. Yeah. You can see where it's all about paranoia and fear and revenge. Oh, you oh. you got to see Deliverance, dude. Basically, it's the same thing as Zardoz, but okay. with normal clothes. Like literally, <laughs> so there, I don't need to say it. there are moments in Zardoz where I'm like, this could be Burt Reynolds. Like the way that <laughs> the mustache, everything about it could be Burt Reynolds. You can tell that he wanted Burt Reynolds for the. Role. Well, I would say that Deliverance actually makes sense as well. It does. Yeah. That's true. It's grounded in reality, but it's about the same sort of like, let's separate these people from reality and yeah. put them into the, this weird hill people world for a little bit. <laughs> but it stays still stays rea- in reality, but like why the hill people are trying to kill them never made sense to me. Yeah. Like, no. why, they, like why would you rape Ned Beatty? <laughs> well, <laughs> you know... Uh... When in Rome, I don't know. I guess we, you, you got nothing else around. You're tired of uh, Grandma. <laughs> well, you've got two other guys there that are much better looking than Ned Beatty. <laughs> like, why would you pick Ned Beatty? Wait, because <laughs> that's what rape always comes down to. It's always <laughs> the best looking. 
I'm, I'm glad we finally settled the things on this podcast. <laughs> oh, Michael, Michael, Michael. Oh, I think I'm, maybe I should take a break from shows for a while. <laughs> <laughs> and you can re- reach Michael Morris at Michael Morris. Right. <laughs> at Hotmail.com. <laughs> Oh, I feel sorry for whoever has that Hotmail account. <laughs> um, and anybody who has a Hotmail account, really. Right, totally. When you see it, it's like, oh, when did you just get AOL? <laughs> oh, yeah, there's there's so much going on in this movie. That, that actually was the one concept that I liked was like that these people who are immortal are just bored as fuck. Because that's always my thing with like people who believe in an afterlife. I'm like, God, that sounds ghastly to me i totally how would you not get bored to death living so forever? boring yeah. totally i totally agree you could play video games i'd never be bored yeah you would be bored pat yeah I, I bet you get really good books in the afterlife you know what i mean i have a feeling there's just one <laughs> yeah yeah the quran <laughs> you can read that now and it's pretty boring <laughs> nope but um, the, the other aspect to this that I think is interesting because it predated what actually has happened in the world is that instead of having a computer system, they talk to crystals and they, they have um, the – what's it called? The, um, the tabernacle yeah. is sort of a computer system that they talk to through their rings, <laughs> which have these giant stones. And the, um, the tabernacle is – I think, if I understand the movie right, the tabernacle is the intelligence that manipulated everyone. Yes, and it's of extraterrestrial origin, correct? I, oh, I didn't pick up on that. Oh, I, they I said something about spaceships and shit. I was just like, I don't fucking know what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, the movie's completely... You can't follow the string of, of um, story because it totally falls apart. And you're just like, okay, they're going to kill each other. Whatever. And, you know, everybody's dead. The end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but the tabernacle, and and then that was another thing where Sean Connery's looking into the crystal, and I just want to say, if like if this all sounds disjointed the way we're describing it, it's exactly the way the movie is. So this is like literally the way the movie is. Yeah. Uh, he's he's like looking into this crystal, trying to see whatever he can, and then uh, all of a sudden he's inside it somehow. I didn't, I don't know how that happened either, and how he ended up destroying it. Really, yeah, anyway. No, no, and he gave it away. He gave it to somebody else, and to use for something. When they were all escaping, he yeah. gave it to somebody and said, "You'll need this to get out of the dome yeah. or whatever." He gave it to the woman in the uh, in the psychedelic sheet. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> the I, characters I, all run together. I think my copy of the movie didn't have any of this in it. What? <laughs> oh, it does. Believe me. <laughs> I don't remember him giving it to someone else. Yeah, I, he did. I must have been distracted. I can't imagine why you wouldn't be paying attention. <laughs> I just remember the first time he came across the crystal where its talking was bothering him, so he he buried it underneath a cushion. <laughs> and there's it's like this grade school attempt at like special effects when he first finds the crystal it's just basically like an it's it's projecting an eye like you would do in your first year at art school or something like oh i've projected a picture of an eye onto the wall and then it you know the eyes on his hand and the eyes projected on his forehead and it's just like the most you know you wouldn't expect somebody who won awards or won acclaim for a movie like deliverance to suddenly go so like high school with um their artistic interpretation of a computer yeah i don't i don't know dude I, th- none of it made any sense that no at first they are 
they're treating him like he's a savage who couldn't possibly comprehend any of their ways and he's just a beast and whatever. And later on, somebody, I can't remember, it might have been Charlotte Rampling or it might have been Psychedelic uh, Shawl Woman who <laughs> who was like, do you understand? You you know more than any of us ever will. And you're, bo- I'm like, what? Where? I don't even, <laughs> I don't even know why you got that impression from him, but because <laughs> he certainly didn't seem all that smart to me. No, <laughs> he really. Did. I mean, in the end, what does he do? He goes to a cave. Um, they put on these green dresses, him and Charlotte Rampling, and they have a kid, and they just sit there, just sit in that they... cave until they die. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> In the weirdest, that's like the weirdest ending sequence to any movie. <laughs> it it reminded me of, yeah, the ending reminded me of like a Get a Life ending or something. The TV shows, yeah, yeah especially with the the skeletons being so fakeo looking. It's like <laughs> next scene, I, I'm surprised they didn't have a beard on the skeleton. <laughs> they did have hair. Did they? Yeah, uh, they had the yeah. skeletons had hair, dude. Did. <laughs> yeah, I. Oh man. Just such a, like, somebody was trying to reach for something in this. You could see John that, Borman. yeah. They were reaching for some big idea, and I don't know what went wrong or how it went wrong. This is a cult movie. I mean, people do, like, there are people out there who love this movie, who enjoy it for its all its failures or for, for whatever it was trying to accomplish. But, like, I, I love kind of failed experiment cult movies, but this one is... I don't know what they were trying to go for, and that makes it fascinating. And then I just have no idea. Yeah, that's well, that's exactly the thing, right? Like, <laughs> like I said, there's a million different ideas, and none of them go anywhere. So you're just left like with, well, that was just a hodgepodge of. <laughs> <laughs> this is the one movie where you can look at it and like honestly say, well, this is no Showgirls. It... And Showgirls looks so much better. <laughs> Showgirls looks better. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm going to change your mind. <laughs> uh, that, that's going to be a really. Kim, are you going to change project. your mind by telling us that we didn't understand that it was satire and we're just too stupid? No, I don't think he's going to do that. Way? No, <laughs> no, actually, I think it's that... exactly what it is. I do too. No, I do too. And it's genius because it's exactly. I don't mean real genius. We'll get into that. But yeah. when we talk about that movie, there are people who think that it's real genius, and that drives me uh, bonkers. No, yeah, well, because they think uh, Verhoeven is a genius. For what reason, I don't know, because I've seen other movies of his, and I, I guess I failed to detect the genius in those. <laughs> so they, they say that's your fault. No, I know, but I mean, I get it. Like, I get the... the uh, Social commentary and fucking RoboCop and Starship Troopers, man. It's just not that subtle or yes. or really edifying, <laughs> really. So, yeah, I, I don't get it. But we'll yeah, we'll get to that. Zardoz, uh, I, if you can if you can stay awake through it, or if you can like watch it in pieces, it's interesting at least, I guess. It's it's so weird that you must sort of try to watch it once it's not the most interesting film ever it's certainly interesting to like look at it in comparison to who is in it and who made it and what comes next and what came before it but like it is not by any means like a fascinating exploration of this idea of the one percent and the you know the the, um no it's not at all no um borman really never did anything else i mean he did a lot of other movies but nothing that looks like was a big like hit or uh award-winning or anything like that so i guess zardoz really defines him and deliverance doesn't and it makes you wonder if if like maybe deliverance was a fluke 
Well, Deliverance you know? was also based on a novel, so he had he had the source yeah. material going for him. Oh, he did Point Blank, a movie we did recently. He did? I thought that was um, what's her name? Um, Catherine, the one who. No, directed... you're thinking of Point Break. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Right. <laughs> no, I, gotcha. yeah. It would have been interesting if he did point blank or not. Wait, he did do point blank. He didn't do point break. Yeah, no, I know. That's uh, Sorry, yeah, that's what I meant. If he did point break. <laughs> Is point blank close to point break? No, not, not any physical places. At all. No. It's pretty close because point break starts with a point B and point blank also starts with a point B. So it's hmm. okay for you to make that mistake. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, I guess, unless anybody has anything else on Zardoz. Uh, if you're going to see Zardoz or, or uh, Showgirl, see Zardoz. That's all right. Pat's oh, jumping ahead of himself. Ouch! But we're, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to why Pat said that in just a minute. So uh, we'll take a break. We'll be right back. Okay. We had a comrade, a brave comrade, he could talk for whole days. But then he tried to be a hero, tried talking about Shamiro to computers wearing earphones. He almost died for conversation, hallucinations, good vibrations. Van Dyke Park's greyhound racing, steeplechasing. All right, we're back with Showgirls. Uh, I don't know. You can you can describe this one too, Michael, and then I'm sure we'll all have lots to say. Well, I think that the key to Showgirls is that it is a more successful um, kind of Wizard of Oz type thing in that it involves a um, sketchy drifter who comes to town um, on the highway, you know, just like the yellow brick road and she gets to town and has all these adventures and then at the end she leaves and goes somewhere else so it's not exactly that allegory they're not trying to make it but um that's sort of the connection that i see like out of towner or somebody from outside comes somewhere new gets in a lot of trouble then leaves now that's the whole story there's nothing really poignant about showgirls but it is about Everything about it is amazing. Like the makeup and the nails and the costumes and the performances are so bizarre. And, you know, I've heard a lot of people talk, a lot of um, drag queens love showgirls because they love the look and sort of the ridiculous over the top factor. And if you can appreciate the ridiculousness of a drifter who comes to town um, and becomes you know, first a dancer in a cheap strip bar and works her way up to chorus girl in a still kind of cheap um, <laughs> um, hotel show and then becomes the headliner for that hotel show before she ruins everything and leaves town. Um, that's essentially the entire crux of Showgirls. Like, it's it's not about the story as a whole, it's about the individual elements that is what makes me enjoy it. I don't worship it. I don't think it's like a great, like a uh, piece of art. Oh, it's but not. It is. No. 
Showgirls is the key to understanding it, I think, is that it's written by Joe Esterhaus, who is known for being like a complete male chauvinist pig, like a complete sexist, misogynist, like just he sounds like he's a total asshole. And he wrote this ridiculous script for this movie that is deeply flawed from his point of view. And then you give it to Paul Verhoeven, who, from what I've heard in interviews, sounds like Paul Verhoeven like really went to this movie and said, I'm going to make the quintessential American movie where I'm going to turn everything up to 11 and I'm going to do everything the way Americans do it. Like It's going to be big. It's not just going to be tits for a couple of seconds. It's going to be the entire film. And it's not just going to be like a little bit of um, makeup here and there or fancy showgirl stuff. It's going to be 110% or 150% like ridiculous, like beyond the limits of human behavior kind of activity. And that's that's my take on it. Well, I mean, I guess he arguably succeeded on that point. I All right, here here's a couple, before we get into it really, a couple things that I had when it was over, thoughts I had was... <clears throat> Everybody in this movie, to me, their motivations only made sense if they were all psychotic. <laughs> and I don't see I like any any argument that they were all psychotic, actually, in this movie. Uh, another thing was, I'm, I'm skipping ahead, I know, but yeah. the, uh, the, rape, the rape scene. All right, so oh, yeah. she meets this, this is, it's like some rock star that, uh, what, what the hell's the main character's <laughs> name? Andrew Carver. Everybody knows that. No, I know Andrew. I mean Elizabeth <laughs> Berkeley. It's like her oh, friend. Uh, Nomi Malone. Yeah, her her best friend roommate um, is in uh, love with this guy and meets him. Molly. He ends up raping her. But like when you see this guy, like if you ever met this guy in person, you would be like, oh, this guy is 100% going to rape me. Right. <laughs> that he just looked, you would not have a crush on him. You would be like, oh, yeah, man, woman, household right. <laughs> pet, he is going to rape whoever he's with. And it wasn't alone. just a rape. It was a, a gang super rape. duper <laughs> terrible rape that she ends up bloody and falls, passes out and has to go in the hospital. Yeah. That's in the middle of a huge party and everybody's just like, eh, whatever. Yes. <laughs> so the, the movie is bad from the start and just bad in normal ways. And then that happened. I just said, Jesus <laughs> fucking Christ. I paused it. I wrote Showgirls. And I sent an email to John that said, this is, I forget what I said, but that this was the worst movie ever. <laughs> oh my God. And you an know, absolute chore to get through. <laughs> can, can I tell you, I remembered watching it, like because I saw it in theaters and I walked out on it. I think I told you guys that in email. Oh my um, God. And the scene I remember that I walked out on was when she's making out with this Alvin Ailey dancer dude. And uh, <laughs> and he put he starts to go for it. And she's like, no, I'm on my period. And he's like, yeah, sure. And she says, go oh. ahead and check. And he sticks his finger down there. And she's like, see? And I was like, yeah, I, I'm my money's my time's not worth it. So you missed out on we can put a towel down. <laughs> yes. Well, I probably was. I probably caught that uh, <laughs> on my way out. I agree that there are some tasteless moments in this show, and it has a lot to do with Joe. Like, I'm sure Esther that's Joe House, House. because yeah. he, from what I can tell, understands women less than anybody in history, oh, yeah. including newborn babies. <laughs> yeah, I. This guy does not get it at all. I, I just kept thinking, like, what a nightmare it would be to date this man Oh God! when I was watching he, this movie. I couldn't even imagine. He must be the worst scumbag. And But 
I have to say that, like, by doing so, by putting his, like, failure, his, like, limited understanding of people into a script that a director who is – Paul Verhoeven is not American. Right. Um, he's an outsider. Yeah. So to see a, um, a Dutch director's vision of what he thinks an American movie is with such a terrible script is, like, this perfect storm of, like, this is so unbelievable that it's actually funny – and it's about reading it as a joke rather than reading it as a serious um, attempt as, as a story about showgirls. I mean, most people I know have a lot of trouble with that rape scene because it comes out of nowhere. It's pointless. It's brutal. And then it all it serves to do is, you know, one scene where she goes and gets revenge and then leaves town. And it's the weirdest ending to a movie because it's just she gives everything up to go kick this guy um, wearing a skirt thigh high boots and no top (laughs) kicks and kicks and kicks him and it's the it's just it's that part of the movie i think a lot of people don't want to talk about or people that love it like leave the theaters when you go see it like peaches christ here in san francisco does a big night of a thousand showgirls every year where they show the movie but before the movie um the you go and sit in the theater and wait and all these drag queens have their own interpretations of showgirls and they come out and you know they'll give you a lap dance if you if you buy a large popcorn you get a free lap dance <laughs> and they really they take it to the limit like the showgirls that come out are like some of them are like zombies some of them are like total meth face looking um, <laughs> drag queens like they really go for it they push them the the funny as far as they can and then there's a stage show they kind of reenact the whole goddess um, oh, show the by the way a show nobody would pay for in any <laughs> hotel i'm sorry and no That's why everybody sh- got comps they showed two different instances of the news media coming to see yes. the star of showgirls or, or goddess and nobody would ever want to see that shit it's so it's such a b-list event and, and that was that cracked me up too because gina gershon's character was was the star and right. um and she's a big deal, and everybody's saying, "Well, she's famous. That's why." You know, like, no, you don't know any topless showgirl dancers. Nobody is famous from that. I could not <laughs> and name. And they're talking about Paula Abdul taking her part, and the only reason, <laughs> oh, she's too expensive. We or can't. Janet get Jackson, yeah. <laughs> well, Janet Jackson basically did at the Super Bowl, so. That's true, but she got she got paid big money for that. <laughs> It's just the the complete misunderstanding of American culture, or maybe the outsider's view of American culture, that this movie is such a – it's not – I don't think it's a parody. I think it's a genuine attempt to make a shocking, sexy, thriller slash, you know, wild movie of the 90s. 100% was. I remember before it was coming out, that was all they were talking about. Like, ah. this is going to show you the seedy side. It's a – you know, it's a really – in-depth look that you haven't seen before with react because it's reality you know this we don't shy away from whatever so right and it's supposed to be it i remember thinking oh god i don't want to see that movie it sounds like it's going to be shocking (laughs) and it's so stupid but it's like deliciously stupid like it's so over the top that you have to think that and and for years much in the way that like john borman never really did anything else again like elizabeth berkeley has had a really hard time coming back from this and it's not her fault like she was very young and she she was apparently one of the only people in the cast who really thought that this was good or serious and took it seriously. And it totally shows. Like, she really commits to everything. 
the most ridiculous things in the movie. She's totally committed to it. And Gina Gershon and Kyle MacLachlan, who play, you know, the boyfriend and girlfriend of the, you know, um, this showgirl who is kind of the grand dame of the goddess show. Um, you can tell that they're holding back, that they're kind of like, I know what this is. I'm playing into this. And they come out unscathed. I, I gotta read. I gotta read the Kyle MacLachlan's reaction to the premiere because it's so funny. <laughs> I hadn't seen it yet, and I wanted to, so I went to see it, and I was absolutely godsmacked, gobsmacked. I said, "This is horrible, horrible!" <laughs> and it's a very slow, sinking feeling when you're watching the movie, and the first scene comes out, and you're like, "Oh, that's a really bad scene," but you say, "Well, that's okay. The next one will be better." And you somehow try to convince yourself that it's going to get better, and it just gets worse. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's so many things wrong with it. Like, I, I, I was noticing every single line of dialogue could have been improved upon. Oh yeah, easily. Like, it's really bad dialogue. And <laughs> wait, wait, I just want to read one more part of it because it goes along with that. He, he says at the end, he kind of says, "With satire, people enjoy it." Blah blah blah. But at the end, he says, "It was just." Maybe the wrong material with the wrong director and the wrong cast. <laughs> <laughs> like to to make this movie with like a re- a serious cast of actors is like something that would never happen now. No, like nobody well, would do this. There was that movie Forty Two or whatever the hell it was called. Oh yeah, the so yeah, but yeah, yeah I don't know how that happened. But yeah, <laughs> no, you're right. This. Ugh. Well, can I say this too? Sorry, I know I keep jumping in. There's so many things. Like, everybody talks about what a great dancer she is. She was terrible. Whenever they were talking about her dancing. I thought she was supposed to be terrible until the end where she was, like, getting praise. I thought it was like the joke was just like she was saying Versace, and the joke was that she, she wasn't a good dancer either. (laughs) <laughs> no, but everybody kept like like Alvin Ailey dude kept saying, "I can see it. You know, you've got the passion." People said that to her a few times. Yeah. Um. And but she just danced like a spaz every time you <laughs> saw her. It was horrible. She did, and that's that's part of what I love about it. The the like you kind of have to process this movie through the filter of other people who also enjoyed laughing at it first because when i first saw it i did not get it i thought this is terrible but like the more i heard people who were who took it and like had processed it enough to like make fun of it or be embrace the sort of ridiculousness of it i mean there's there is no moment where anybody's dancing where they are not dancing for their effing life where they are like (laughs) it's the most brutal movements and it's like so jerky and like everybody's dancing like they if they don't move faster or if they don't hit it hard enough they're gonna be murdered on set and, and, and like the scene where she's dancing with gina gershwin it's like they're fighting yeah oh yeah it really is every scene looks like they're fighting every time they dance and um when um oh god um oh sorry my brain just blanked <laughs> what a great moment in the show um it'll come back to me what else were well, you gonna I had, say i had a question you say that they they show this like the the drag queens do their show and then they show this movie. Mm-hmm. So what what's the crowd's reaction to the movie during the rape scene? Well, that's actually um, I've never stayed long enough. <laughs> okay, <laughs> like because once you've seen the hour long show that they put on before, and you've waited in line the hour before the thing opens, like you really don't want to sit through a two hour movie. You know what I mean? Like it, you just can't. 
And so, so your love for this movie has limits, is what you're trying to tell us. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. As <laughs> yeah. much as I love the mocking of it, I don't really love the watching. It's it's <laughs> way too long. I When I was watching it, I was like picturing one of those time-lapse sun going from the east to the west across the sky, man. <laughs> like, it feels longer than two hours. It feels like it's like watching Shoah, except more depressing. You know, I have to say, though, that I watched this late at night. It was like after nine, and I was like, oh, I'm going to start this, and I'm going to want to fall asleep. And I started watching and, like, became more and more, like, awake as I watched it. Like, I (laughs) made it through the whole thing. It was, like, riveting. Because if you look at it like it's not – like, every – Every scene has something ridiculous to see, like the, and you just have to love that ridiculous thing. Like every scene where there's multiple people, where there's a crowd scene, for example, and Empire does this too. And I think that this is why Empire is garbage. Um, every scene <laughs> where there's a crowd and there's like Crystal Connors or, or where Nomi, um, Elizabeth Berkeley is performing, every single person is not just watching her perform but they are also pointing or like you know doing one of those like asides to their friends like isn't she great yeah they're all wrapped yeah right they're like oh my god look at that that's Naomi Malone she's great oh my god and like every extra is doing that and they do that on Empire too and it makes me laugh but it's totally like Every single person is – nobody in the world would ever be like that. Right. Like, we'd all be on our phones nowadays or, you know, even back then. you'd or be walking like, out. Your, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> your own conversation. You would, you'd be like, oh, that bitch is dancing, whatever. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, leave me alone. I've got to tell you about this thing. And, like, the fact that nobody has an attention span to watch somebody show off. <laughs> and yet they put it in these movies where there's kind of bad direction. And you imagine that the director must be just brutally treating the extras – um, to attention because I've I've heard in an interview um, where someone who talked with Peter um, the redhead who is the yeah, choreographer yeah. Um, and he said that when they filmed his scene where Elizabeth Berkeley was auditioning and um, well Nomi I'll call her Nomi she was auditioning and she was on the floor and she's supposed to be thrusting <laughs> yeah and- I, that was hilarious. <laughs> Right, and he's like losing his mind, screaming, thrust it! And like that, he said that he had done that a few times with um, the director, Paul Verhoeven, and that Paul Verhoeven got so abusive with him because he wasn't doing it enough for him that he was like, okay, fuck you. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go way over the top. And then let's see what you said, you think about that. I'm going to make a fool of you. So <laughs> that's the take that they used. Like the, the take that they actually used is the one that he did as a fuck you to Paul Verhoeven. Yeah, and Paul and, Verhoeven was probably like, well, that was almost at the energy level I right. wanted. Let's keep it. <laughs> and everybody in the movie is acting at that energy level. Like it's all about Paul Verhoeven thinking that everybody has this incredibly intense energy to be in this B or D list hotel in Las Vegas being in this shitty show that doesn't make any sense if you watch the whole movie the goddess show has like a volcano in one section and then like an outer space kind of thing or a greek god kind of thing like this and whatever slaves with whips is, yeah it are doesn't there, make any sense are there vegas shows where the the dancers are like sucking on the breasts of the other dancers <laughs> god i hope so <laughs> i would think so I mean, at a casino, at a major casino that gets press, right. and not at some seedy strip club on the edge of town. 
I, you know, I don't, I've never seen any Cirque du Soleil thing, and I am very glad because I cannot bear that kind of stuff. But I would imagine that there's a few erotic Cirque du Soleil things that might have stuff like that. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't seen them either. I can't imagine that, though. That was just. It's trash, for sure. The show that they're in is total trash. (laughs) Yeah, it's terrible. We were talking, and uh, when we were watching it here, and Viv was like, man she is really a terrible actress. But, and I was like, well, I don't know if you're watching everybody else's performances, but I think it's the director probably like she might not be a great actress, but this isn't the movie to judge her on, on that. Right. Like there's so much that you can't, you, you have to guess is somebody else's choice. Like her makeup is so thick in every scene of that movie that her beauty, I mean, she's a, she's a, pretty girl she's a beautiful woman what have you but she's not natural looking in any scene no she's not she's completely over the top with like nude lipstick that's um or or cream colored lipstick i guess that's like so shiny that it couldn't possibly be on her and her makeup is so thick that she looks maybe like a different ethnicity in some scenes yes i agree yeah and the, yet there's other scenes where they've painted her very white and she's much – her face is lighter than the rest of her body. And like the makeup inconsistency and the, the just the thickness and the application is so over the top that she's always like a sexualized character. There's never a moment where she's just like, I'm going to put my hair down and put on some sweatpants. She is always – she's always turned up to 10 on sexuality. Which is funny because – there is nothing erotic about this movie whatsoever. Really? Even that that um, the swimming the pool scene? Oh well. Oh the strip. Oh the uh, the lap dance. No. <laughs> See, that's the thing. Like at that point, I'm already like, all right, you're naked. Like I've this has been going on. This is it's at the point where you just I don't know how you make sex unsexy, but they managed to do it for this movie. Yeah, they did a and, good job at that. If that's what they're calling. It. Yeah. <laughs> And that's why people should love it. It's like such a such a weird take on something that it it is a parody of without intentionally being a parody of it. Like nobody thought they were making a parody in this movie. And it is a parody all by itself because of the complete sort of like vision that is an outsider's vision of an American movie. And you've gotta love things like so Nomi comes to town. Um, and she dances at the Cheetah, which is a cheap strip club. And she does lap dances there, and it's it's seedy. And then she graduates to the Stardust. <laughs> um, but the people at the first place at the Cheetah are weirdly charming and funny, and they come they come into the story in ways later that just make you laugh. And I don't know if that's intentional or not, but you know how there's there's um I don't know her name. She's the heavyset woman who's like yeah. a comedian. Like, why is there a comedian at a strip club? Yeah, it's so weird. Yeah. She's on stage so much. Is she a woman or a drag queen? I think she's a woman. She's a woman. That's why, yeah. No, because I thought that there was like a a throwaway line at some point where it was that she's a guy. It was a joke, I think, yeah. Oh, okay. caught that too. And I was like, what? But she pops her boobs out all the time. So, yeah. She's got like a trick dress that makes her boobs pop out. And like she does that so many times in the movie that you're like, why are you showing us this old woman's (laughs) boobs? And her some of her lines are the best in the movie. Like when, when that woman and the former employer go to the stardust to visit Nomi, um, she says, 
oh, she looks better than a 10-inch dick and you know it. <laughs> like That kind of line is like a classic. The the showgirls at the Stardust and um, are arguing and um, one of them says, um, well, you fucked that guy at a pizza place. <laughs> it's, like, it's just like trash, slutty, like ridiculous dialogue that makes no sense. My... There's a lot about this movie that made no sense. Yeah. Like, the, Any the, reaction that that Nomi had pretty much made no sense. Like the the first scene where she meets Gina, Gina Gershwin, and she says, "I'm a dancer," and Gina Gershwin's kind of like says, "You're not a dancer, you're a stripper." She not only is she offended by that, but she wants to kill her. Well, that's the thing about her <laughs> being then, psychotic so, that I said in the going beginning. Before, going before that, when she like the guy steals her suitcase and she's going crazy and trying to kill Molly's car, and Molly comes over and says, "Don't beat up my car." Come be my roommate instead. It doesn't make <laughs> so sense. Yes, yeah, she's going crazy and then she pukes for no reason. And then, <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. She's a psych- a psych- psychotic person throughout the film, and she yeah. doesn't change. She stays psychotic. She she pushes Gina Gershon down the stairs to steal her role, and basically feels no guilt about it. Right, and they reveal later that she's like been a, a hooker her whole life, essentially. After her, you know, her dad killed her mom and then killed himself or something. Yeah. and she's That's basically. What they say I think she killed them both. Yeah, she me too. She, she might. <laughs> I like I like the the mystery of not knowing for sure. But when you think about Wizard of Oz, you know, there's that that classic hilarious movie review or um, listing review where somebody. It, some newspaper. I don't know. It's it's out on the internet. The the guy boiled down the Wizard of Oz to um, a uh, a Kansas drifter murders the first person she meets, um, and then teams up with three other drifters to kill again. It's <laughs> 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 kind of what Nomi is. She's a drifter who who hurts or kills people, and then she disappears. And this movie is nobody's redeemed. Nobody's no, everybody good. just gets worse. Actually. The, the cheetah strip club owner is the only one who comes off better because he comes to see her at the show and says, you were good. Right. And it turns and out he was only kidding about the blowjobs. <laughs> yeah. So he's actually a decent guy. <laughs> it's really, it's almost like a John Waters movie where every intent, John Waters made every, every step he could take to make his characters as disgusting and <laughs> unlikable and as ridiculous as possible, but he yeah, was doing I, that on purpose. But the, yeah, the intention. John Waters uh, un- unlikable. It, it's not. It's not as mean as this unlikable. There's just some. There's an edge to this movie where the there's there's just like a, a hardness that's not. It's not as easy to take as as in a John Waters movie. No, I don't well, know I, because I think John uh, Joe Esther has has just the shittiest view of humanity that you can possibly have. I think that's what, and especially women, as we've already said, but just overall, like, yeah, nobody, nobody is, there aren't this many terrible people in one zip code. Anywhere. Unless they're all in Las Vegas. Cause that's, I mean, that's, that's true. Vegas could be. Yeah. But yeah. Oh, well, the, the sex being unerotic, I want to talk about some more too, because that swimming pool sex scene, <laughs> I, she is, basically having an epileptic fit right in the what like what was that supposed i don't know i don't know but i couldn't help but laugh what's funny is that you can walk i've i don't really hang out in bars a lot and certainly not in gay bars very often but every time i go into a gay bar i swear to god that scene is playing (laughs) 
it might be once every five years that I'll go into a specifically gay bar and that scene is on the TV because it's so over the top, makes no sense, ridiculous. Yeah, if you're going to play a scene from it, I would play. I would just watch that scene if you can. So, I mean, that's basically the whole movie. But my, <laughs> yeah, in microcosm. <laughs> my whole problem with it was that there wasn't enough funny campy to balance out the boring, shitty parts. Um, like, my yeah. favorite line in it was, that I found the most funny was, oh, we got to celebrate. Let's go get a burrito. <laughs> <laughs> Which is actually how I would celebrate, but right. it's not... <laughs> Not how you celebrate a major step forward in your career, generally. I was really bothered by the way that she ate in general, because Elizabeth Berkeley weighs like 100 pounds in this movie or something. She's so thin. And I realize she's burning a lot of calories as a dancer, but every time they can put a hamburger in her mouth, they're yep. putting a hamburger in her mouth. It's like, there's and, no and way you could eat like that. And I don't know what kind of brown rice and vegetables she's eating, but she talks about them like they're, they're some kind of strange food yeah. from a foreign land. It's yeah. so disgusting. Oh my God. Wait, sorry. That was my favorite conversation, though, when they were both talking about eating dog food. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Compared to dog food. Yeah, that was their bonding moment. <laughs> I mean, it was so... I mean, like, and it made no sense, right? It made no like, sense. I mean, I guess they were both trying to say they had been poor at one point in their lives. Mm-hmm. But come on, ramen is cheaper than dog food, man. There, there's no need to resort to that. It made no sense. <laughs> Worse for you, too. <laughs> it is worse for you, yeah. Just like Crystal Connors, like having Nomi's number so right from the first time she met her, and just why are you playing with her? Like, why is Nomi playing with her at all? Like, it, it was just there for the lesbian overtones or undertone overtones. I would say, like, I would say overtones. Yeah, not, not a lot of subtlety in this movie. No subtlety whatsoever. Like, just everything's right on the table, right in front of you, and there's no guessing about it. And the the conversation, like the they don't really try to be friends. Nomi never really like likes Crystal. Or anybody. Or anybody. Yeah, I, I guess her roommate kind of, but yeah. True. And that True. Black, the, the dancer, the dance teacher, oh, whatever, yeah. what's his name? She kind of likes him for a little bit and then stops liking him. Yeah, I can't remember his name. Yeah, had, I just call right. him the Alvin Ailey guy, yeah. 90s guy. What is yeah. Alvin Ailey? It's the dance school he went to, dude. Yeah. He oh, studied under Alvin Ailey. Um, Again, I guess I didn't pay enough attention to the movie. (laughs) I think we used to publish the Alvin Ailey um, calendar, which is the only way that I know it. (laughs) Yeah, that she gets really pissed at him because he's sleeping with somebody else, even though he says the only logical thing in the whole movie, which is like we have no ties to each other. I'm like, (laughs) yeah, you don't. What What is your problem, Nomi? I wish you'd call her Polly. That's her God-given name. Yeah, that's true. It's Polly. Yeah, that was the hilarious reveal, like you said, Michael. (laughs) Oh, her parents, her dad killed her mom, then killed himself, and then she was like, yeah, who gives a shit? It's Las Vegas. Like, nobody cares about that shit. (laughs) Yeah, but that's what he was using to make it so she couldn't call the cops. No, that's true. That's true. (laughs) On her friend who was raped. would really care. Like, would it really impact sales at the Stardust? Right. Yeah, no. Oh, it's so fucking bizarre. But I it's think... so delightful. <laughs> I have to love it because it's so badly done or so badly written. I, I think... think I could love it if I was going to a, a show where people were making fun of it. But just as as on its own with nothing else, I can't love it. I'm Sitting sorry. there watching. Yeah. 
No, I agree. I think that I could really love it if I'm only watching half the movie and leaving before that terrible rape scene. That would be fine. <laughs> yeah, or just cut that scene out. Like it, it's not even. You don't. They didn't have to show it. Number one. No. Because, like I said, as soon as you see this guy, you know. Oh yeah, you know where it's going. Yeah. Like they, they make no doubt. The the actual rape scene, his security guard rapes her. Yeah. And we don't see him actually do it. He just punches her in the face. Right. <laughs> Cheering along. Just so fucking brutal. And the the that scene, like she she punishes Andrew Carver for that, but it's actually not Andrew Carver that we but, see physically raping her. Yeah, no, I know. I was thinking so they, that too. So they get off scot-free, and he does, she doesn't kick them with her high heels. No. But so that's why she left town. That's what I didn't get at the end, because her her name's still up on the billboard. From what I could tell, the way they were talking about it, like if you're big in Vegas, it doesn't matter. That's, that's why they didn't call the cops on him, right? He might be playing that place someday. So if you're big in Vegas, well, you can kind of get away with what you want. She conquered Vegas since she was going to Hollywood. She conquered Vegas for, like, one show, though. Yeah, but she was so great, she was going to Hollywood to become a movie star. (laughs) I think that that is what they were suggesting, in my mind. Okay, well, yeah. And what serendipity to run into the same guy hitchhiking (laughs) that she met at the beginning of the movie. Right. Didn't see that coming at all. And that guy, like, I don't understand. Why was his shirt so far unbuttoned? (laughs) I don't don't remember that being a thing in the 90s, but who knows? No, what did he do with her suitcase right (laughs) what was in that suitcase we really don't know (laughs) it's the suitcase from pulp fiction (laughs) it was everything she had right and she's she's she's, parents bodies i'm assuming right hardback suitcase luggage that even in the 90s we had softback luggage by then the fact that it had no wheels or anything is kind of stupid but not when you come from oakland yeah (laughs) right and she was coming from oakland so why didn't you just go to la first yeah, exactly. Closer. It's I, didn't, there. I didn't put together she was coming from Oakland. For some reason, I thought she was coming from Nebraska. I must have just Yeah, I think she did. Act, well, I think when they said, like, where she had gotten, it was like San Jose and shit. Yeah, I don't know. Who cares, man? Like, that doesn't matter. <laughs> right. Like, they, they really don't do a good job establishing a backstory or a character for her at all. No. She's a prop. She's a doll. They just kick her around and... Um, she dances and like she's no real character. Oh, she's just rage. Like and and also nobody could be that angry all the time and not get murdered by her age. <laughs> I have to say. <laughs> have no- you seen the sequel? Oh I yeah, haven't I? Haven't I know that Rena Riffle made it herself, who played Penny, who was yeah. the woman that the guy from Alvin Ailey was screwing. And she so, she was like she was. She was the new stripper. Right. It was like her actual, it was the story of showgirls in her own life. She's like, I'm going to be the star of this one. Right. Wow. Oh, you saw it or you just read about it? I've just read about it. I've, I've always heard, even from people who love showgirls, that it's not very good. Okay. So I've never That's saying watched something. it. saying something, yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> she, she has come to the Castro showings of uh, uh, showgirls and participated in the shows that they do. Wow. I kind of feel bad for this woman. And they're on the verge of getting Elizabeth Berkley. Elizabeth Berkley has been so damaged because she took all the heat for how bad this movie is, which is totally unfair to her. It is unfair. Totally unfair. She was doing what she thought was the job that she was paid to do. And she 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 showed up and she did an amazing job of following terrible directions. Oh, God. <laughs> sorry. Can I bring that up too? Every time she was watching Gina Gershon or anybody dance, she was mimicking the dance moves just <laughs> standing there. It was so hilarious. 
<laughs> and it's the typical dance movie bullshit where like they watch 10 seconds of a dance and suddenly they know every aspect of what they're doing. Oh yeah. Well, they... she wanted she wanted to be in on the dance before even watching them do it. She's like, "No, no, just watch us first." Yeah, <laughs> well, but then then they gave her a 3-minute rehearsal and they're like, "You're on tonight." And she <laughs> apparently knows the whole show, so that was good. Exactly. Well, I guess it's the evidence that she is an amazing dancer. Yeah, I guess she is. <laughs> but clearly, like when you watch her, it's amazing pool fucker. <laughs> it's like when you watch a movie, and you know I've I've read about this recently, where like when they're talking about uh, a, something on screen, um, people go to see a show, for example, and they're like, "Oh my god, this is the best show!" And the way that the movie communicates that to you is that the audience is saying that show is amazing, rather <laughs> than showing us the show. Right. Like, right. Like. The way that Thirty Rock, we never really saw the show. The show yeah, the early show. Hey, we saw the what was the the robot and the bears. We saw that. <laughs> well, we saw a little bit little of it. little skits. Yeah. <laughs> but so for us, it was always funny or always weird or always good. It was like in our imagination. Oh, I and thought we, on Thirty Rock. Not to change the subject, but I yeah. thought Thirty Rock show was supposed to be terrible. Yeah, it was. So it that that made it even better. This was supposed right. to be great. You're right, exactly. It, it was supposed to be bad, and the fact that we never saw how bad it was, or we rarely did, like yeah. it made it like it was great because I can kind of see it, even though they never really showed us an episode. And with um, with Nomi, you've got the audience telling us that she's an amazing dancer, but then we're seeing her. Yeah, and you can see that the dancing looks crazy, and she doesn't look that good. And so it's like you're lying, and you're showing us that you're lying in the sense, you know, it's this weird disconnect um, the way that they show us the performance. Yeah, I I think my the main problem I have with this is that the misanthropy is not charming. It's just like hatred of humanity <laughs> in a in a way that's in no way i don't know that makes you connect with the, the and it's all the writer i i think right. it's fair to say yeah totally and what has he written other than this sliver did he do that one with the something with the clintons didn't he write a clinton book shit i don't know dude like red that one with the it wasn't the clintons but it was um Oh God, Emma Thompson was in it, but it was like it was masked. It was sort of like uh, oh, I don't who cares now. But um, John Travolta, I think, played a Clinton-like president. Oh right, right. Primary yeah, colors or whatever. Primary colors. That's it. He Maybe did that not was work. Sister. No, that no, no. He did Showgirls, Jade, Sliver, um, Basic Instinct. Oh, Basic Instinct. All right, there you go. That, that explains it. Jagged Flash Edge, Flashdance. Yeah. Oh, he wrote Flashdance. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how could somebody be responsible for so many bad movies and still get hired i i know and he's still well no he's not really still getting hired that's wrong he did he did uh write unca- uncredited characters for showgirls two pennies from heaven really <laughs> well, yeah he didn't write that it was just his characters were used that he, he worked so hard to create but i would like to uh, send out an apology to elaine may uh we didn't mean to confuse you with joe esterhaus she oh, wrote She wrote oh. I think you know what I'm confusing her him because is he wrote a book I think about the Clintons that came out after Showgirls. It was it, it, I sw- I swear he did. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm All gonna right. look it up. Yeah, we gotta find this fool back. on Amazon now. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't doubt it. He obviously has an opinion of himself that does not match reality in any sense so joe esterhaus in books uh oh the devil's guide to hollywood 
You should. Oh, American yeah, Rhapsody. American Rhapsody. Yeah. Oops. Oh God. I, there, it's not about the Clintons. It's specifically about the Clinton Lewinsky scandal. So it's probably about how a terrible person Melania Lewinsky is, since he hates women. And yeah, I, he, he turned into a dancer. <laughs> I get these. Uh, I get these screenplay contest emails, and um, the, there was one. It was like, get your name on a credit with a Joe Esterhaus project, and I was like, why <laughs> would anybody want that? That's when for just starting out. Yeah, exactly. That's what I thought. <laughs> So the last movie he wrote was Children of Glory in 2006. Don't even know what that is. Don't want to know. Never heard of it. It's a Hungarian movie. Ah. Written in Hungarian. Of course. Well, as, less, as is Showgirls. <laughs> it <laughs> might as well be. Last American movie was Al, an Alan Smithy film, Burn Hollywood Burn, which was legendarily bad. <laughs> and he didn't take credit for it? No, he did. Oh, so the Alan Smithy thing was just a... It was part of the title, actually, no, yeah. No, yeah, that was the, the, it was the Alan Smithy from a film, Burn Hill Would Burn. It was directed by Arthur Hiller. I remember this. It was directed by Arthur Hiller. He hated it so much, he took his name off of it, so it, was an, it became a literal Alan, Alan Smithy, Smithy film. film. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, at least we got this treasure before he went so far off the rails. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, man. I don't know. I can't. There's there's not enough high camp in it to balance out the uh, high shit content. You see, and me. I think that people who really are connoisseurs of camp would say it is exactly 100% high camp. What it isn't is that it isn't aware that it's high camp. And people nowadays expect to like sort of you sort of know when you're watching something campy, or, or because they're telling you that it's campy. Right. Like the, there's the, like the old Batman TV show. People say that's campy. That's not camp. That's satire. That's comedy. That's parody. Whatever. But like true camp doesn't know what it is, and it's bad because of what the the viewer perceives. And it's it's the way that I can laugh at a horror movie that is funny when other people might or think disgusted. it's scary. Yeah. Right. Or drama that might supposed to be like, you know, terrif or, you know, horrible. And yet you're laughing like mommy dearest because it's <laughs> so over the top that you can't be scared. You have to laugh. Um, and that movie did not set out to be camp by any means. I think Showgirls is the same way. I don't think it's like the greatest movie of all time by any means, but it is really a pure example of good intentions or sorry, not good intentions. Um, <laughs> <laughs> honest intentions that they honestly thought they were making a fantastic movie and it just everything about it is wrong yeah it's, I, it's what's, an, what's an example of a movie or, or a piece of work that is camp and was set out to be camp is that possible well i think that if you talk about like rocky horror picture show i think that there are camp elements of that that are intentional like absolutely, I mean, I love Rocky Horror Picture Show as much as anybody, um, but the way that Frankenfurter is sort of winking at the camera, um, that Tim Curry knows what he's doing, and he's he knows that he's parodying yeah. um, those '50s sci-fi movies plus some weird version of Doctor Frankenstein or Dracula or something. Like the way that he delivers lines, he's trying to get a laugh. He knows that you're going to laugh because it's comedy partially but like that's that's i think camp that's intentional that is really good version of intentional camp um whereas this is not intentional camp. No. i think john waters is a weird kind of thing because he 
you know he sincerely loves this shit that he has made movies about. Mm-hmm. Um, but he just he loves camp without even seeing it as camp, really. Like to him, it's it's entertainment. So it's it's kind of hard to like qualify his movies. As yeah, I don't think that he would. I think that he is very a very specific example of someone who would not ever consider anything that he does camp. No, I would say trash is the better. Trash. Just the better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he loves the trash part, and it's it's not camp because it doesn't fail at what it does. It is exactly what it was intended to be, which yeah. is a trashy movie. Right. This is Showgirls is like an after-school special with no moral and uh, <laughs> porn elements, I guess. I don't but, want to go to that school. <laughs> the very best part about Showgirls is the kind of afterlife in that it's been edited for TV nowadays. And you, you catch it on <laughs> TV all the time. Is it like and, 30 minutes long? <laughs> no, it's still like two hours, two and a half hours. But they they often cut out the rape scene. They should. Um, they often um, do the best thing ever, which is that they draw or animate um, like bras or pasties over the women's <laughs> breasts. Wow. So like the the scene where she's kicking Andrew Carver and she's you know beating up the rapist at the end. If you watch that on regular TV or cable, what you're going to see is a version where they've put um, they've drawn like a black. Um, almost like a tube top over Nomi's breasts. <laughs> and I've only ever seen it that way until recently. I'd never seen the unedited movie version. So it didn't even occur to me that I was seeing that until later on. I was just like, and that, and that scene, she had these weird red pasties on her, her breast, right? And right. The, I thought so. I was going to ask you guys. I, if no, that, I thought she put like lipstick on her nipples or something. Oh, I thought there were pasties. I thought it was going to turn out that they were poison, and that's how she killed them. <laughs> I thought they were pasties, and that she was going to, um, uh, like he was going to eat them off with his teeth or something. I, uh, I don't I know what straight people do. Yeah. This is just one more mystery of showgirls. We'll never know. Yeah. <laughs> just another strange choice that we can't explain. Oh, wow. And that wasn't in the script. That was all brought in by Elizabeth Berkeley. Yeah. <laughs> I think Her you guys should really. Work. I Give learned this, this from Saved by the Bell. Oh, oh, the dancing or the the oh the the nipple thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, didn't all the characters do that? <laughs> Miss Miss Bliss used to do that before class. All the boys would have to come in and. Um, Screech was really into it. Move her pasties. Wait, is their... Miss Bliss the a teacher's name? <laughs> yeah, she was the teacher. <laughs> That's a deep pull. <laughs> I don't know why I knew that. I never watched that show. That's a terrible show. And this is a terrible Not movie. But it's also a wonderful movie. <laughs> all right. <laughs> we'll, we'll let listeners make their own choice. I mean, see it by all but means. By make, by make their own choice, we mean don't watch either of these movies ever. <laughs> I think that if you watch if you um, if you watch this movie and then give it some time and maybe read some stuff about it um, from some people who really just enjoy the humor or the the failings, like it becomes so much more enjoyable in the way that you know how my mom anyway thought that like mommy dearest was like oh those poor children got beaten and blah 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 and, like right. it's really sad but like I cannot take it seriously in the least bit well because and- it didn't it also come out that it was really highly exaggerated as well. Um, it has since come out that like nobody really quite believes Christina Crawford. Yeah, anymore. yeah. 
And so it probably was highly exaggerated, but you know, Faye Dunaway has the same experience with um, her movie that Elizabeth Berkeley had. Like Faye Dunaway does not want to talk so, about it. Yeah. Um, but they're both coming to the point where they're just about ready to embrace it again because yeah, didn't people Faye have been... Dunaway actually have a career? It doesn't seem like Elizabeth Berkeley had. <laughs> yeah, that's had true. That I mean, Faye Dunaway had more reason to disown that movie, I guess, but. She did, and she she definitely went on to do other things. But I've read interviews with her where she um, she's like, I, you can you can talk to me about you know this was this masterclass or all these things that I've been in in the last twenty years. But the first thing you want to fucking ask me about is Mommy Dearest, <laughs> and course, that's what everybody wants to know about because that's the most fun movie she ever did. So thinking, of, I think Tim Carey feels at one point felt the same way about Rocky Horror Picture Show, which I, yeah. I think is terrible. Oh, did he really? Yeah, maybe not. I, I'm pretty sure. I think pretty much everybody in it wouldn't talk about it for a long time. Uh, what's the guy from Bruce Boxleitner? Bruce Box? No, he's not in it. Uh, yeah, no, it's Barry the other Boswick. guy, Billy Boswick, the other Susan Sarandon wouldn't talk about it, but maybe they will now. I don't know. Yeah, well, Susan Sarandon totally embraces it now. I think. Well, I think she acquitted herself. Fine in that movie, anyway. I think like, they all did. It's a yeah, fun well, yeah, movie. Yeah, Tim Curry is obviously camping it up, like you said, Michael. So I don't know why he would have had a problem with it. Yeah, I think maybe because the fans of that show just will talk about nothing else, and they want to move on from that. Maybe they don't want to be typecast. I don't know. I think I think they've all moved past it and can talk about it now. But for a long time, they wouldn't. Which yeah, I, I think, always thought was sad. I think you're totally right. It's about typecasting. He doesn't want to be seen as like, oh, this is the one thing you did. And he's done so much more since then that we just don't even think about because he was a voice in this or he was like a, a ma- the clown. In, the evil uh, clown in like, It. Yeah, which right. that's how I'll remember him. I remember him as a butler from Clue. Oh, right, exactly. And like, he's just never not Frankenfurter when you see him. Yeah. Um, when you see his face. And I mean, poor guy. Like, I know he's like, I think he's in a wheelchair now and he's had strokes and um, he's had kind of a rough go of it these last few years. But um, he's that's still like his greatest performance to me. I love that movie. Well, and what can you, I mean, what can you say? It gets played every weekend, all everywhere. Yeah. Like, shit. You, yeah, you yeah. got to own up to that at some yeah, point. Yeah, it goes away for a while in some cities, but it always comes back. Yeah, Rocky Horror is like a good one. It's one that like I think that people might have not understood at first, and time has been very good to it. And you know, Showgirls was like a bomb at first, but yeah. it's made like a hundred million dollars just on home video. That's um, so we like to see the boobs. Yeah. <laughs> well, I would say no. That's not true at all. I mean, <laughs> oh, I think it's true. I think Maybe. some men bought it just to watch I, I think these dudes need to find other movies yeah. because you can see boobs and have a happier time of it. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I, I mean, maybe if you're on the right mind-altering substances, you can watch this and have a good time. Just turn it off before that rape scene because that is going <laughs> to no, bring I'd you love, down, dude. I'd love to go to the thing that Michael's talking about where there's, there's drag queens doing stuff about it before the movie starts because that sounds like a lot of fun, but just watching oh, yeah. the movie... It's not fun at yeah, all. Yeah, I would go. I would go to that and watch the drag queens and watch like, up uh, probably to where I walked out in the theater with the with the period <laughs> thing. I would watch up to there with people yelling and stuff. But but yeah, you really have to like think of it like it's the opposite of um, Rocky Horror. Like I don't want to see Rocky Horror with an audience who's shouting things at the screen because I love it like as a solitary experience where I can like just enjoy what it really is. Yeah. But Showgirls is kind of a little bit better when you have other people like laughing and mocking the movie, um, even though they're doing it because they love it. 
Um, they just love how bad it is. It's it it is a really interesting experience. They just did like their twenty year um, night night twentieth annual um, night of a thousand showgirls this year, and they've been doing it for twenty years. Where they do it at the Castro. Yeah. Okay, that's why. Yeah, they do it in I think August or September. I can't remember which. Wait, so uh, they've been doing it since the movie came out. Almost since the movie came out. Like I think they started two or three years after the movie came out. It came out in ninety five. Oh. Well, I guess they, there you go. Shit. Maybe I got that number wrong. Maybe it's 18th. <laughs> I'm terrible with numbers. Um, I've heard Pete just talk about like how it's almost the 20th. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe the it's um, the 18th this year or something. But they started really soon when after the movie came out, immediately parroting it because they got it right away. Well, I would like. Yeah, I would go to that with you. Like, I'll, I'll, oh yeah, I'll totally check that out for up to a certain point, and then I will leave. <laughs> it's totally worth it. It's like a huge sellout. Like, they get the biggest drag queens in the country to come and perform <laughs> as Nomi, whereas the other characters, and it's amazing. Well, I wonder if they'll get Elizabeth Berkeley for the twentieth. <laughs> they're trying they're trying they are trying to get her to come around and that she's almost there she's almost like she's getting that people love it and they're not laughing at her and they don't hate her or blame yeah. her for it. like she's getting that she'd get a standing playing, ovation there i'm sure she she they would bring that theater down <laughs> if she were to show up there because she is beloved for sort of being this maligned actress who took the heat for this movie. Yeah. I think it's been long enough that she doesn't have a hope of not being typecast, so she she's safe to to embrace it now. Yeah. I think she is. I don't know what she does these days. Um, but uh, it, as recently as this year, she's finally coming around. Well, I don't want to talk about this movie anymore. <laughs> what a segue. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go on to recommendations, Asians, 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 of which I have not thought of one. So, Michael. And neither have I. Michael, please go first. Well, I'm just going to pull one out of my ass. Um, the um, A couple of us at work have been reading Alan Moore's new comic series um, called Providence. And it is uh, kind of a like H.P. Lovecraftian sort of story. But it's super slow. And it's super creepy. And the... Um, the, the story is about a man who is um, researching um, something. I don't even know what it is because it's kind of hard to follow. Um, but he's, he's researching all these weird occurrences and he's trying to go back and figure out exactly um, you know, what property belongs to what person, something like that. And he comes across, as he's writing his, this book, he comes across some oddities. And he starts to have these odd experiences um, where he's not sure if he's hallucinating or not, but he's sort of getting sucked into this Cthulhu or Cthulhu, whatever, Lovecraftian nightmare world. And it's set in like, you know, the late 1800s or early 1900s, I think, um, Providence, Rhode Island. And um, it's really one of those things that you can tell that it's kind of awesome, but it's so dense that it's going to take me a long time to sort of get through it all. Um, it's only had five issues. Um, it's every issue tells the story, and then there's like six or seven handwritten pages from the guy's journal, the main character, where he tells the story sort of from a slightly different point of view, and you get it's this really interesting storytelling method. And um, it's Alan Moore who is um, legendary for so many other things. So I would recommend trying to get through <laughs> Providence. <laughs> 
Although is, I it, tell you, is it out in the graphic novel now, or is it single issues? Still? It's still single issues. I've been reading it digitally, um, but it's it's a challenge. So maybe you wait for a trade collection on this one. I think it's going to be like 12 or 18 issues, but it's really plottingly slow. Like every page, it's sort of like Watchmen, where every page, it might be just a foot walking down a dirt path for an entire page or two. What well, does and, sound Lovecraftian. Yeah. <laughs> but there's these really weird, broadly creepy moments where you're like, what the fuck is happening? And then um, he wakes up and he doesn't really happen or not. And um, his notes that you read at the end, if you can get through all that handwriting, um, it gives a really unique and different perspective because some of the things that we see as readers reading each panel aren't said until you read what he wrote about it. And oh, like, that's cool. Yeah, it's really interesting. I don't want to give anything away because it's kind of an, a weird reveal. But um, it is worth looking for at some point, maybe collected, maybe individually. Um, but um, a f- like three or four of us are reading it um, at work right now. And everybody's sort of hooked, but acknowledges that it's difficult to get through. I, I bet I could name Sounds at least good. three of those people reading it. I'm okay. sure you could. And most of them have been on your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say that I always feel like an illiterate when I read a comic book that has diary pages or anything written in it. Because I, whenever I get to that, I was like, oh my god, it. this is so hard to read! It's yeah. the worst. Because they don't respect people's reading um, line lengths. Like It's well known that people can't follow a line that's like as wide as a comic book page. It has to be a um, a, a thinner column oh, for shit, somebody that's to read. Really true. Like, I didn't know that, that was studied, but yeah, I oh, can yeah. see that. Yeah, it's what I do all day. It's well, it's well to Michael. Nobody else knows that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the 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 line length is something we have to look about look at in every design we'd ever do, and nobody in comics understands that because they just set something in handwriting. And they'll fill the page edge to edge, and nobody can follow that. It's impossible. It's so hard to read. The well, end. No, I don't feel so bad. No, you're not stupid. We're all stupid. <laughs> Except for Alan Moore. Right. Yeah, he's just crazy. <laughs> he's just and awesome. crazy. And he's awesome and crazy. And wizard. A sex wizard or something like that. <laughs> I might just wait for the movie to be made about Providence and skip reading it. Yeah, Alan Moore has a lot of success with great movies being made of. Yeah. He's really and he loves. Work with. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he loves them when they do get made. Yeah, exactly. He has nothing but good things to say. <laughs> uh, did you think of one, Pat? Uh, yeah. Uh, an old book that I always enjoy picking up once in a while is called Hard Boiled, an anthology of American crime stories. Oh, yeah. Uh, edited by Bill Pronzini and Jack Adrian. It's just a bunch of crime stories and from all different eras. It's from the 90s. Lots of good stuff worth picking up if you see the used bookstore or something. I probably, probably even have a new version with more stories. But anyway, yeah, that's good. I hope that that book and all the crimes involve eggs and they've all been hard boiled. <laughs> <laughs> that is where the genre came from. <laughs> the great egg theft of 1932. Yeah, it was like a Three Stooges short, I think. That's, That's a challenge. Paid all his money. <laughs> Somebody should do it. Like, like really, like fucking, like intense crime stories, but everyone involves a boiled egg. A hard boiled egg. Yeah. But no, the great part will be that at the end of the end of most of the stories, it's not a hard boiled; it's soft boiled. <laughs> so a real, a real twist. <laughs> yeah, nobody will ever see it coming. 
<laughs> Alan Moore is writing it right now. <laughs> I'm, I'll, re- uh, I'll recommend an album, actually, because um, I can't think of anything. Actually, I think we'll do this album on the show, uh, Pat, if I have any say in it. But uh, <laughs> Some trouble remembering my name. Michael will, <laughs> <laughs> Michael will hate it. I, I couldn't remember who my real co-host was. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Mike would hate it because it's real people uh, playing instruments and singing about feelings. But uh, the go-between, 16 Lovers Lane, 1988, uh, one of my favorite bands. Uh, very kind of poppy, but also too subtle for the American market, so they never caught on here. But uh, yeah, that's it. So it's from 1988. Yeah, yeah, it was made in 88. Gotcha. Yeah. Mm, sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> it's no showgirls, but I, I did enjoy it. I want to do that versus Ryan Adams doing covers of Taylor Swift. Oh, if, do we have to do that? I mean, please do that. <laughs> I desperately that. want to listen to that album. Because that. I really want to listen to that album. All right, let's fucking do it then. Let's do it next week. Yeah, do it. I insist. I got to hear that. I will I will um, not buy the Ryan Adams album, but I will find it. And, uh, <laughs> and I'll send you the go-betweens. Check but the I, garbage pile on the street. Do you think I should listen to the Taylor Swift before I listen to the Ryan Adams? I mean, that's or... totally up to you, man. Um, I think you probably enjoy the Taylor Swift more, but I, I don't know who am I to say. I think I'm the only one on Earth who doesn't like Ryan Adams, but I'd find him boring. So I can't imagine you're the only one on Earth. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess we got our next show. Uh, <laughs> it sounds fascinating. Well, we have to do some Halloween shit, too, so maybe... Michael can come back with... Uh, oh, yeah, and bore your audience more with some terrible <laughs> movies that only I like. <laughs> well, it's clear that you don't, you're don't. you not the only one that likes Showgirls, so... Yeah, or Zardoz, <laughs> either. True. Zardoz is... Yeah. Well, you Did you watch... Had you seen Zardoz before this podcast, or had you... Um, I had, like, struggled through it before. Okay. Yeah, and I knew that it was a mess, and I was like, "Oh, this is a mess. This will be fun to watch again and talk about." And I was wrong. Yeah, it is. It is. You do struggle through it. That's the way that you watch it for sure. <laughs> Some of the bad movies we've watched due to Michael and uh, I think Laura has made us watch bad movies too. I, I've enjoyed <laughs> sitting through these two. I, I can't say I've enjoyed sitting. Through yeah, I, like I definitely enjoyed sitting through uh, Sleepaway Camp. I thought that was. Fun. Oh, that was awesome. That's not oh. a bad movie. Yeah, oh, and okay. I also liked. Uh, oh, I think that was my pick though. Uh, Society, I, I thought was fun. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. Was fun. I like. Yeah, I, I like sitting through the room. I thought that was so <laughs> terrible. <Yeah>. Funny. <laughs> I have to find something. I've heard I've heard some good things recently about Nightmare on Elm Street Two. Oh, I don't remember. I've never so. seen. I don't remember, but apparently it's the most homoerotic um, like subtext possible in a horror movie. And the star of the movie, the man who was a star, was a closeted gay man at the time, and he had this horrible experience and never worked again after this movie. And this movie, like in the movie, he he's like. It's all these homoerotic experiences in the dream murders. You know what I mean? Um, Nobody liked that movie that I remember. So it's probably not worth watching. But he's trying to make a documentary about his experience as a... He's got a Kickstarter for making a documentary about a Kickstarter about his experience in the worst um, of the Nightmare series. Wow. Yeah, I, we could totally watch that versus like Halloween two or Friday the Thirteenth Part two, even though they're all from the same era. But oh, yeah, I'm sure they're all or Scream not great. two. Watch it compared to Scream two. Oh, I can't watch Scream two, dude. 
I've never seen Scream once, so I might not understand what's going on. <laughs> yeah. It's just screaming. <laughs> <laughs> you will miss a lot of subtext. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, do Great. your thing, Pat. Oh, uh, like us on Facebook. Write to us at popculturecontinuum at gmail.com if you'd like to be on the show, if you'd like to say terrible things about Scream 2, or just if you'd like to say hi. Um, write us highly on iTunes, and our the theme song we use on every episode is the Divine Comedies something something. Uh, lost Art of Conversation. Yes. All right. Uh, that does it, then. Smooth. Yeah. Smooth. <laughs> Smooth like a baby's bottom, Pat. <laughs> All right. Uh, until next time. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye.